0: Started here, I believe, this is our fourth week here in the book of Ephesians. We're here at some wonderful verses. They've been wonderful so far and they're continuing. The Bible's an amazing book. As you study it and you it's so profound, so much depth, and so much so much good stuff, especially in these verses as we've studied through them and gone through them. We saw as we started here from verse three to verse number fourteen, we see that Paul is engaged in worship, he begins to praise God for everything he's done to save us and blessing us in Jesus Christ. And this anthem of praise that we see from Paul, and as, we, as he goes through it, Paul praises all three parts, or all three members of the Trinity for their part in salvation. From verse 3 through 6, we see, God, we see Paul praise God the Father for His sovereign work in our salvation. Verse 7 through 10, we see God the Son jesus and we th- and he's praising him for his saving work and then in verse 11 through verse number 14 paul praises god the spirit for his sharing work and what he's doing in our lives and as we look at this and as we study this we saw for the past three weeks we were stuck on these verses verse three through six and we saw how god is to be praised for his sovereign work today we're going to shift just a little bit and god is to be praised for his saving work in these verses, Paul moves from eternity past and telling us how God has chosen us before the foundation of the world and lays all of that out for us. Paul moves on how that, was, that plan was formulated eternity past and how it now is carried out in the present. Paul moves from praising God for His sovereign work, how He elected us, predestined us, formed the body of Christ, to now how He brings all of that to pass. And up till now, we've been looking back, and in, in, in these verses, we're going to be looking around at what Christ did for us. These verses this morning are going to give you even more reason to praise God for what He's done in your life. This morning, I want you to see that He is worthy of praise for His redemption. For His redemption, He's to be praised for the results of our redemption, and He's worthy to be praised for the reasons of our redemption. So let's dive in. You better have your thinking caps on today because there's going to be a lot here this morning. And I'm tired from last service still. That sermon, whew, I got worn out. And now i got to get worn out again. We're going to do this and go through here. Number one, we see that God is to be praised for His redemption. Verse number seven, in whom we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of His grace. Redemption is a central theme in the Bible. When we experience redemption, it's a wonderful, it's a gift from God. A gift that God gives to us based on nothing we have to offer in return. And while redemption is a gift to us and it's free to us, redemption costs so much for us to have it. And that's what Jesus Christ did for us and we'll talk about those things in a few minutes. Let's go through and examine this morning for a little bit of time God's redemption which leads us to letter A we see the character of his redemption. The idea of redemption was a common one in the ancient world. In the Roman Empire during the time of Paul there were about 6 million slaves during that time. The buying and selling of those slaves um, was a common thing that would happen. It was a huge business. People made a lot of money off of it. And in fact it wasn't uncommon for a family member or a friend to try and purchase a slave that was their friend or family member to get them out of that. And what they would do is they would buy them and then they would set them free. To make this happen, that individual would pay and purchase that slave and what would happen as that would go on for himself and then what would happen is as you bought that slave, you would release them and give them freedom if you wanted to let them go free. The Greek word used here for redemption, whom we have redemption, it means to affect the release of a slave by paying the redemption price. That's the form of the word used right here in verse number seven. Paul says, we have been redeemed. That means we who are saved have been released from slavery. Now you say, slavery? What's slavery? You think about this, every person born into this world since the fall of Adam and Eve in the garden, is a slave. Like it or not, that's how it is. No person is born free. No one is free from sin and its consequences. Every person born since Cain came into this world has a sinful nature. Every baby that is born that comes into this world has a sin nature and separated from a holy God. Every single person born into this world is a slave to sin and faces the same fate we are all destined to die romans six twenty three, for the wages of sin is death wage you that have a job you go to work and you get paid your wages once a week twice a month once a month whatever it is you get your wages for the work that you do What we deserve, the wages of our sin, the consequences of our sin, the Bible says, is death. Now that doesn't sound all too hot, does it? Remember in the garden when Satan said, oh, you won't die? Mankind spiritually died that day when they ate the fruit and physically started dying. Death is a result of sin. Sin, now I'm a math guy. I love math. That's uh, one of those things. The word is in math always means equals. Sin equals death. It's the consequences of our sin. Death is the ultimate consequence of our slavery to sin. Every person in this world is a sinner. There is none righteous, no not one. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. We are sinners by nature and we are sinners by choice. And according to Jesus, because we are sinners, we are also slaves to our sin. The Bible tells us, John 8, verse 34, Verily, verily, I say unto you, whosoever committeth sin is the servant of sin. Sin is a cruel master. Sin, it enslaves its victims and demands the high price for their release. It demands death as the only way to pay its price death is the price that had to be paid for man's sins if man wanted redemption death must take place by a perfect sacrifice to pay that price for us that's exactly what Jesus Christ did when he died on the cross for our sins the innocent died for the guilty so that us the guilty might be released from slavery to sin Listen to how the Bible describes this in Galatians 1, verse 3 and 4. Grace be to you and peace from God the Father and from our Lord Jesus Christ who gave himself for our sins that he might deliver us from this present evil world according to the will of God and our Father. Galatians three thirteen, the Bible tells us, Christ hath redeemed us from the curse of the law, being made a curse for us, for it is written, Cursed is everyone that hangeth on a tree. Galatians 5.1 tells us, Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty, wherewith Christ, look at what Christ did, hath made us free, and be not entangled again with the yoke of bondage. Colossians 1, verse 13 and 14, Who hath delivered us from the power of darkness, and hath translated us into the kingdom of his dear Son, in whom we have redemption, Through his blood, even the forgiveness of sins. When Jesus died on the cross, he literally redeemed us from our sins. You see, his shed blood satisfied God's demand for sin. He accomplished everything that was necessary to set us free. Am I losing you this morning or do I still got you with me? We're just scratching the surface. We're going somewhere this morning. A few more verses, I want you to see a few more things. The Bible tells us Revelation chapter 5, verse number 9. And this is talking about us in heaven. If you don't like to sing to God today, I don't know what you're going to do when you get to heaven. Because in heaven, you're going to be singing a new song. And this, look what it says, Thou art worthy to take the book and to open the seals thereof, for thou wast slain, and look what it says here, and hast redeemed us to God by thy blood out of every kindred and tongue and people and nations. The word redeemed here is translated as to do business in the marketplace, to purchase something for oneself. We see here that thou hast redeemed us to God. Who's the us? Us. And every saved person, that's the us, have redeemed us to God by whose blood? Christ's blood. Christ, the one that we're going to be worshiping here. And as we look at this, when Jesus redeemed us, He paid the price for our redemption and forever removed us from the sale again. He purchased us. He owns us. That's why the Bible says, Therefore you are bought with a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and your spirit, which are God's. And He never intends for us to be enslaved or sold under sin again. The Bible also tells us in Galatians 4, verse number 5, to redeem them that were under the law, that we might receive the adoptions of sons. The word redeem here goes even a step further than that redeem that was in Revelation 5, verse number 9. And it literally, it has the prefix X added before it. And this word means to purchase something for oneself in a marketplace, and and then forever that something is released from sale he bought you he purchased you you cannot be sold into sin again once you're his you're always his you've been redeemed he never intends to allow us to be enslaved or sold under sin again um first peter 1 verse 18 and 19 the bible tells us for as much as you know you were not redeemed with corruptible things as silver and gold from your vain conversation received by the traditions of your fathers look at verse number 19 but with the precious blood of Jesus, as a lamb without blemish and without spot. You see, this morning we are redeemed by His precious blood. What can wash away my sins? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. The word redeemed there in verse 18 is the same one that we see in our text in Ephesians 1, verse number 7. The word redeemed release a slave after the payment of the purchase price. And this is exactly what happened. Jesus came into this world and died on the cross of Calvary. He shed sinless, perfect blood that day. And His blood forever satisfied the judgment of God. Then the Lord Jesus set us free from bondage of our sin and delivered us from the power of sin. Romans 6, verse number 14. And He set us free from the penalty of sin. Therefore, there is no condemnation to them that are in Christ Jesus. And he set us free so that we could live a new life, and he's made us a new creature, and old things are passed away, and all things are become new. That's what happened when he redeemed us. That's the nature of redemption. Have you been redeemed this morning? Can you sing as we did? I stand redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. Redeemed, how I love to proclaim it. I've been redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. Are you saved this morning? Are you redeemed? You've been redeemed you got plenty to thank the lord for we see letter a the character of his redemption letter b we see the cost of his redemption the cost of his redemption in whom we have redemption through his blood the redemption we have been given in jesus is free for the taking you know i'll be interested you hear people talk politicians and things and you hear a couple things that are said they want to give free college to everyone. Have you heard that? I've heard that. My question is, someone has to pay for it. it ha- everything has to be paid for one way or another. So it might be free to one person, but who's paying for it? And the other question, we hear this thing, universal health care. Everyone deserves free and everyone deserves health care. Who pays for it? Someone has to pay for it. In our redemption, it was free to us. Look what the Bible says. Revelation 22, one of the last few verses in the Bible, verse 17. The Spirit and the bride say, come. And let him that heareth say, come. And let him that is a thirst come. And whosoever will, anybody, let him take of the water of life freely. Isaiah 55, verse number 1. Ho, everyone that thirsteth, come ye to the waters. And he that hath no money, come ye, buy and eat. Yea, come, buy wine and milk without money and without price. While the redemption of the Lord that he's given to us is free, it was anything but cheap. This verse reminds us of the fact that our redemption is through his blood. The moment you came to Jesus Christ for salvation, you didn't need to bring a payment in your hand for what you were getting. All you need was your faith in the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. When you believed on Him by faith, you were saved by grace, and it did not cost you a dime. However, it cost Jesus everything. The price of our redemption was His precious blood. When Jesus died on the cross, the innocent was dying for the guilty, and he who had no sin became sin. That's what the Bible says, 2 Corinthians 5, verse number 21. For He hath made Him to be sin for us, who knew no sin. Look at this, that we might be made the righteousness of God in Him. He put sin upon Himself. When Jesus shed His perfect, precious blood on the cross, he, and you think about this, Think of all the animals and all the sacrifices in the Old Testament. Tonight we're going to be talking about the book of Leviticus. Think of the millions of gallons of blood that was shed of those animals during the days of the tabernacle and the temple. And all that blood could not wash away a single sin. All that blood did was cover sin for a season. And when Jesus, the perfect Lamb of God, shed the perfect blood on the cross, He did what no animal could ever do. He shed his blood, and his blood was the blood of a perfect man. His blood was shed on there and freed us from our sins and paid the price on sin that no one else could ever do. It cost him everything. The Bible tells us in 1 John 4, verse number 10, here in his love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the, it's a big word, propitiation for our sins. Propitiation means that which satisfies. Jesus died for sin, and God is forever satisfied. Why do you think that our God is against works-based salvation? Because what we're saying is, yeah, that's great that Jesus died for us, but i got to keep myself saved. No, when Jesus died on the cross, he appeased, it was all appeased penalty paid jesus paid it all there was nothing for me to pay he paid it all he took care of it on the cross when we try to add a workspace to our salvation what we're saying is christ your sacrifice is not enough but let me remind you of something this morning jesus sacrifices all that we need jesus paid it all all to him i owe sin had left a crimson stain but guess what he washed it white as snow he did it all. Come to him, and you will be, never have to pay a fee. Come to him and he'll give you salvation freely. Come to him and he'll save you eternally and give you eternal life and the forgiveness of sins, but it cost him an awful price. We see the character of his redemption. We see the cost of his redemption. Let us see. we see the cause of his redemption. Paul tells us that redemption flows to us according to the riches of His grace. Because God set His grace on us, He set in motion a plan to save us. Everything God has done in Jesus comes to us according to the riches of His grace. You can think of it this way: If we were to take up an offering today, which we will, we're a Baptist church; we do do that every week, and someone here's a millionaire and puts $20 in the offering plate. They are giving out of their riches. And just about anyone could do the same thing. I think just about anyone could put $20 in the offering plate. Now, what if that millionaire gave $20,000? They would be giving not out of their riches, but according to their riches. you see the difference there? God has not given us a redemption that has limits on it. But He's given us a redemption that knows no limits. Think about what we've studied over the past several weeks. Verse number 3, He's blessed us. Verse number 3, in all spiritual blessings. Verse number 4, He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world. He adopted us into His family. He changed our lives. He's determined that we'll be with Him someday in heaven where we'll be like Jesus. And He did all this just because it brought Him pleasure. God has given us all that we have according to his riches of his grace. If he merely saved us from sin until we sinned again, that would not be redemption. That would be redemption out of his riches, not according to his riches. If he set us on a road to heaven and told us to get there the best way we could, that would be a redemption out of his riches and not according to his riches. When he redeemed us he didn't do it part way. He did not set any limits on his grace towards us. When he redeemed us, he redeemed us according to the riches of his grace, which means that we cannot sin beyond his grace. It means that we cannot, you, think about how wonderful that is. We cannot sin beyond his grace. Romans 5.20, the Bible says, moreover the law entered that the offense might abound, but where sin abounded, grace did much more abound. It means that we're saved to the uttermost. And I love this verse in Hebrews chapter seven, verse twenty-five. Wherefore he is able also to save them to the uttermost that come unto God by him, seeing he ever liveth to make intercession for them. And your redemption was complete with what Jesus Christ did. You cannot lose it. Once you're in him, no man can pluck you out of the hand of the Father. And we see God's to be praised for his redemption. Number two, we see God's to be praised for the results. Of our redemption. When Jesus Christ died on the cross, He made a way for us sinners to be saved. He loved us. He gave us life. And He did all of this because He set His grace and His love upon us. He doesn't charge us. And in reality, He doesn't expect anything out of return for the redemption He gave us. The redemption God gave us through Jesus Christ does far more than just releasing us from sin. The redemption we've been given provides some benefits that changed our lives and our eternities forever. Think about this letter A. The redeemed have been released. Paul says, in whom we have redemption through his blood. Next phrase there, the forgiveness of sins. Through the redemption we have in Jesus, we have the forgiveness of sins. That word forgiveness is translated means pardon, a Pardon. When it comes to our sins, our sins have been put away from us as though they never happen. Isn't that wonderful? Maybe that's just wonderful to me. I think that's wonderful. Human forgiveness is conditional. Someone will hurt us, and we'll struggle to reach a place of forgiveness. But even when we get to the place of forgiveness, we still, as much as we try, will always remember those things. of who we are but think about this that's not how the forgiveness of god works when the lord forgives he chooses to forget that's bible bible tells us as far as the east is from the west start going east and see if you ever start going west you can keep going east and going east you go across the united states east you're gonna get to the ocean You go across the ocean, you get over into some other continent over there, you keep going, you keep going east till you get back right here to Chino. Then you go east again, you keep going east, east and west never meet up. You can start going west from here, you're going to have to get on a boat pretty quick or an airplane, and you go east, I mean west, and keep going west, and west and east never meet. And the Bible says as far as the east is from the west. That's how far he's removed our transgressions from us. You know, we look at ourselves and we'll think, oh, man, I messed up. There's something in your past and you're like, oh, man, I really, I really messed things up bad. Oh, it's awful. And Satan will come along and say, hey, God, look at this guy right here. Look at Peter over here. Look at the sinner that he is. Look at the things that he's done. Oh, and God looks, oh, that's my son right there. Satan, yeah, look at what he's done. I don't remember what he did. That's what God has done. Now, if Rebecca's up there, she can be like, all right, God, I'll tell you what he did. I'll fill you in on some of those facts. And then, good thing God got eternity because that could take a while to go through all those things. But he chooses to forget, he blots out our transgressions. What a savior. Remember when uh, Jesus was coming, and John the Baptist was—he's going to baptize Jesus, as around the time. And John sees Jesus coming, he says, "Behold, the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sins of the world." It said something real close to that. That word there, "taketh away," means to carry off. When Jesus died on the cross, our sins were laid on him, and he was judged in our place. That's so what the Bible's talking about in the book of Isaiah, Isaiah 53. It's amazing to me. There's so many Jews out there that they like the Old Testament. They do. But you get to Isaiah 53 and they want to say that. There's, that wasn't talking about Jesus. They, they are blinded to the truth. There's no one who fulfills Isaiah 53 other than Jesus Christ. Look what it says in verse number 4. Surely he had our griefs and carried our sorrows. So he bore our griefs, our sorrows. Yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. Verse number 5. He was wounded for our transgression. He was bruised for our iniquity. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. And with his stripes, we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way, and the Lord hath laid on Jesus the iniquity, the sin of us all. Verse number 7. He was oppressed and was afflicted. Yet he opened not his mouth. He is brought as a lamb to the slaughter, and the sheep before his shears is dumb. So he opened not his mouth. Verse number 10. Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. He hath put him to grief when thou shalt make his soul an offering for sin. He shall see his seed, he shall prolong his days, and the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in His hand, Verse number 11. It says, "He shall see the travail of his soul. God shall see the travail of Christ, and shall be satisfied. By the knowledge, By his knowledge shall my righteous servant justify many, for he shall bear their iniquities. It's exactly what Jesus Christ did on the cross. He bore our sin. Now, because our sins have already been paid for, they can also be forgiven and put away when we come to Jesus by faith. It's as if our past has never really even happened. Others remember what I've done. Satan remembers what I've done. But God chooses to forget. He's put it away, and as far as he's concerned, my sin didn't happen. We see the redeemed have been released, letter B. We see the redeemed have been reconciled. Go back up to verse number 6 here. It says, To the praise of the glory of His grace, wherein He hath made us accepted in the Beloved. Verse 6 tells us we've been accepted in the Beloved. The word accepted means to make agreeable. In our natural state, we are not agreeable to God. We are hateful to Him. The Bible tells Romans 8, 7, the carnal mind is enmity against God. It means that before salvation, we are God's enemy. That's why we sang a song this morning, Once your enemy, now seated at your table. Now that goes against what this world likes to say and what a lot of Christians like to say. I hear a lot of people, we are all God's children. When you are saved, you're a child of God. Before salvation, you are not a child of God. You are a child of wrath, even as others. The Bible tells us, Ephesians 2, verse 1-3. through 3, You're a child of God when you get saved. And until salvation, we're at odds with God. We're not for Him, we're against Him. He's opposed to us when we abide continually under His judgment. That's why the Bible talks about, we, For God so loved the world, he, sent, he gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believed in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. And how he sent his son, but those who not don't take his son, abide under his wrath continually and under judgment. The Bible tells us, John chapter three, verse number three, Jesus saith, Jesus answered and saith, unto him, verily, verily, I say unto thee, Except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Second Peter one, verse number four, whereby are given unto us great and precious promises that by these ye might be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. Do you realize this morning God accepts us not as we are? That's another thing that Christians like to say. God accepts me just how I am. No, 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 no. No, 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 no. God accepts us, but not in ourselves. He accepts us in what he's made us in Jesus Christ that's how he accepts us. That's biblical. Christianity needs to get back to being biblical in the statements that we make. We like to make people, and I want people to, if I can make people feel good, I would. But the Bible's true. And the Bible needs to be preached the right way. And you want to feel good? Make sure you're saved. And look at all the benefits you get. I think that'll help you feel good. And also, for some of you that are, um, are any of you language nerds around here? Do we have any language nerds? Ryan, yeah. Joe just pointed his finger at you. I agree with that statement there. But the Bible says there in verse 6, accepted in the beloved. It is a perfect tense verb phrase. So you could read it this way I have been accepted, I stand accepted, and I'll always be accepted in the beloved because of what Christ did for me. See, number one, this morning, God's to be praised for his redemption. Number two, God's to be praised for the. Results of our redemption. Then number three, and lastly this morning, God is to be praised for His reasons for our redemption. Let's keep on reading there. Look at verse number eight. It says, Wherein He hath abounded toward us in all wisdom and prudence, having made known unto us the mystery of His will, according to His good pleasure, which He hath purposed in Himself. Look at verse 10. That in the dispensation of the fullness of times He might gather together in one all things in Christ, both which are in heaven and which are on earth, even in him. There is a lot loaded in to those couple verses right there. And I'm going to break them down for you and help you out this morning as we finish up this morning. As we think about redemption, the obvious question is, why? Why does God redeem his people from their sins? Why does he save us? Why does he forgive us? Why does he make us his children? Why is God so gracious to people who deserve hell, judgment, and damnation? Why? There's many, there, the answer to that question, as with many, and most of them are shrouded in, and we see it right there, in verse number nine, having made known unto us the mystery of his will. We look at the mystery of his will. These verses give a few truths and give us some answers to the why question. Every one of these truths is wrapped up in the wonder of God and who he is. Why does God redeem the lost? God has his reasons, and I'm going to share, with you, share those with you right here, and we'll be done this morning. Letter A, underneath number three, we see the wonder of his grace. Bible says in verse 7, in whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins. Look at the end of the verse, according to the riches of his grace. Paul tells us everything we have in Jesus flows to us from the, bo- from the bottomless well of his amazing grace. What is grace? Many have defined it. Some define it as God's riches at Christ's expense. It's been defined as the unmerited love and favor of God for the undeserving. The Greek word here refers to goodwill, loving kindness, favor. And I heard one man say that grace is any movement of God towards man. His grace is an amazing grace. That's why those who receive his grace marvel at. That's why a song could be written, Amazing Grace. How sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I found was blind. But now I see marvelous grace of our loving Lord. Grace that exceeds our sin and our guilt yonder on Calvary. And marvelous, wonderful grace wonderful grace of Jesus what grace what grace he's given to us wonderful grace of Jesus think about it God in his grace set his love upon us when we did not deserve his love God chose us in Christ Jesus instead of condemning us to hell. God reached to us in love to save us when he had every right to reach down and to send us to hell. That is the wonder of God's grace and what makes salvation so special. We have been given everything that God has to offer and we deserve nothing. We have been brought out of death into life. We've been adopted out of Adam into Jesus. We've been delivered from hell, and now we're on the road to heaven. That's what his grace is all about. See the wonder of his grace, letter B. We see the wonder of his glory. Verse number 9 says, Having made known unto us the mystery of his will, according to his good pleasure which he hath purposed in himself, Verse 9 tells us that God's redemptive plan flows from the mystery of his will. And he did what he did for us based on, or did for us according to his good pleasure. And that God devised and carried it out because he purposed it in himself. In other words, God's whole redemptive plan exists to bring him glory. Every soul that is saved fulfills God's plan to redeem sinners and brings him glory every soul that is saved because god in order to accomplish his plan in order to advance his own glory has revealed the deeper things of god unto us look at verse number eight and we're almost done i know there's been a lot here in this message this morning look there verse number eight it says wherein we have abounded toward us in all wherein he hath abounded toward us in all wisdom and prudence Wisdom here has the idea of sanctified knowledge. It's the ability to understand the things of God. And the word prudence refers to understanding and insight. It is through this wisdom and prudence that God has made known the mystery of his will to us. You see, God in his grace and for his own glory has opened our eyes to the deeper things of God. He's allowed the redeemed to understand matters of life and earth. He's allowed us to comprehend heaven and hell, time and eternity, the depth, power, and influence of sin, and the fact of his love for us. I think Jesus said it best, Luke chapter 10 and uh, verse number 21. In that hour, Jesus rejoiced in spirit and said, I thank thee, O Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that thou hast hid these things from the wise. and You know, some people just don't get the things of God. And it says, And hast revealed them unto babes, even so, Father, for so it seemed good in thy sight. The Bible tells us in First uh, uh, Corinthians 2, verse 9 and 10, But it is written, I hath not seen, nor ear heard, neither have entered into the heart of man the things which God hath prepared for them that love him. Look at the next verse, verse 10. But God hath revealed them unto us by his Spirit. For the Spirit searcheth all things, yea, the deep things of God. So God, for his own glory and his own purposes, opened our eyes and let us see the truth. And use that truth to convict us of our sins and to draw us to Jesus Christ. Please us to let us see in that the wonder of his will. In this verse, and look at verse number 10, let's read verse number 10 real quick, or if he here, just a minute. It says, that in the dispensation of the fullness of times, we might gather together in one all things in Christ, both which are in heaven and which are on earth, even in heaven. In this verse, Paul reminds us of the fact that history is not meaningless and without purpose. God has done everything that he has done to bring everything together in Jesus Christ. That's what the Bible tells us here. God has determined that Jesus Christ is to be the head of all things. Colossians chapter number 2, the Bible tells us, verse 10, and ye are complete in him, which is the head of all principality and power. Colossians 1.18, the Bible tells us, and he is the head of of the body the church which is the beginning the firstborn from the dead that in all things he might have the preeminence one day the powers of this earth will fall at his feet and acknowledge him to be king of kings bible tells us psalm seventy two eleven, yea all kings shall fall down before him all nations shall serve him One day Satan will be judged by Jesus. He'll be cast into the lake of fire forever. One day the Lord Jesus will reign upon earth for a thousand years. And this verse says here in verse number 10, it speaks of the dispensation of the fullness of times. The word dispensation has the idea of management, oversight, or administration. It refers to control. So think of it this way. This verse reminds us that God is in control of everything that goes on. Yeah, you might look and see and say this world, with the prince of the power of the air, he thinks he's in control. And even during the tribulation, he thinks he's in control. But my God's in control during that time. Today, he's in control. And though this world may look out of sorts, let me remind you of something. In the end, God will reveal Jesus Christ to be the head of all things, to all people. The world ignores Jesus today. The world acts like he doesn't matter. The world reduces and refuses to bow to him, to worship him, to obey him or to love him. And this world appears to be spinning out of control, but that's just how it appears. Our God is in control and when the time is right he will demonstrate his power through his son, Jesus Christ. Here's the wonder of it all. God made us a part of his plan. He has a plan to exalt his son. And he allows us to be part of that plan. He has placed us in Jesus by grace through the faith. He has blessed us in Jesus with all spiritual blessing. He's promised to keep us, use us, and allow us to reign with Christ one day. These things make him worthy of our prayer. God has truly blessed us. Your bank account might not look very good here on Earth today, and you might be like, "I'm not, I'm not rich." Oh, but spiritually speaking, your spiritual bank account this morning, you are rich. You are rich beyond belief. You literally have all that you need. You've been given all spiritual blessings. These true shakasas. After all he's done, how hard is it to go to church? After all he's done, how hard is it to go witness and tell someone about Christ? After all he's done, how hard is it to pick up your Bible and read it? After all he's done, how hard is it to live for him? After all he's done, how hard is it to let him have first place in your life? Guess what? You might not give him first place in your life and you want to run things your own in your life. Guess what? Someday he will have first place in your life. The best thing to do now is let him have it now. He deserves it. He's done so much for us. Maybe you're saying here this morning and you're not saved. Hey, the first thing you need to do, you need to come to Christ and get saved. You can have redemption through his blood. There's nothing you can do during salvation. It's all what he did for you. And look, the forgiveness of sins. How good he is to us. Man, he says, Whosoever will they may come. It cost me everything. But I want you to come. You can have my gift of salvation. We're just barely scratching the surface on the book of Ephesians. We're through verse 10. A blessing in my life. I hope that this is a awaken you to some of the thoughts of the wonderful things that God has done, on redemption slaves to sin. And this morning, if you're without Christ, you are a slave to your sin. And then Christian, he set us free. So why are you still tangled up with that sin? He freed you from it. Be free. Live for him. Love him. Thank him for his redemption. Father, I love you.